This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Bloomberg Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio. Welcome to Bloomberg Business Week on this Fed Decision Day and the Fed crossing the headlines. Uncertainties remain. We'll assess appropriate rate path, cutting the federal funds rate target 25 basis points to one and a half to 1.75 percent. So as expected, Jason, cutting for a third straight meeting. Uh, we're going to dig into some of these headlines. Omitting acts as appropriate. I want to understand what that means when we get to our experts in just a minute. But first, let's get some market reaction from Charlie Pellet. Hey, Charlie. Right, right now, we have got the S&P 500 index down six, down two tenths of one percent. Stocks flat heading into that announcement. The 10-year up 730 seconds with a yield now of 1.81 percent. The Dow down 29 points, dropping one tenth of one percent. NASDAQ lower by 25, down three-tenths of 1%. Gold up two-tenths, 14.89 the ounce. And West Texas Intermediate Crude down 1.5%, 54.71. So again, a drop for the Dow, down 35, down one-tenth. S&P now lower by eight, down three-tenths. NASDAQ down by three-tenths of 1%. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Charlie, thank you so much. You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week, the focus on the Fed, brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network for the sixth straight time. J.D. Power ranks Commonwealth number one in independent advisor satisfaction among financial investment firms. Visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. We're, we are all about the Fed right now. So most read story, just want to get to our Chris Condon, who puts out our Fed story. Federal Reserve officials reducing interest rates by a quarter percentage point for the third time this year, hinting they may now put monetary policy on hold for one meeting at least. And we did see equities dig a little bit deeper uh, into the loss column uh, as a result. And as for yields, a slight uptick, but really slight. Let's get into this uh, with our team. Kathleen Hayes is Global Economics and Policy Editor here at Bloomberg News. She's in our Interactive Brokers studio in New York, along with Dave Wilson, our Stocks Editor at Bloomberg News. Kathleen, right to you, what stands out? Does this mean the Fed is on pause for December? No. Okay. I don't think so. I do think, though, they could be. I think uh, that the fact that Jay Powell and the Fed, the FOMC, took out a pr- act as appropriate to sustain the expansion, which had become a, a, a phrase that everyone uh, took to mean, we're going to keep cutting interest rates. That's gone, but they're going to monitor the data and assess the appropriate path of the target rate for the federal funds rate. So to me, it's pretty clear. I think this is more or less what people expected. You don't Now you want to get away from promising to do a rate cut at every meeting and right. maybe even December, but... If the data are weak enough, right? Yeah. Then there's the the door is still wide open. And again, I think well, now what we have. Go ahead. Quickly. Well, this is what I don't always get because it's like I understand that they take a phrase out of the statement and we you know assess the significance of it. But the Fed's going to act appropriate as needed, no matter what, whether it's in there or not, right? But so what's the true? Well, but well, the significance of- is that when the, the, this FO, this statement, this mm-hmm. statement that, that they make, the policy statement. 
is 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 understood to be, which it is something that is so carefully worded. Remember when the forward guidance under Bernanke and then Yellen was, you know, keeping rates low for an extended period. That was considered really important. When they removed that, it was a big deal. Right. So removing this is a one of those subtle but so clear signals that they have made a shift. I just think it's so important, though. It doesn't mean they won't cut in December. It just means that, you know, this division we've seen, those who don't think we need to cut at all, those who think we need to cut more, those in the middle are trying to figure out what we need to do or say, hey, we just cut rates three times. And let's don't forget, everybody, in the background, we do see a mini trade deal forming. Maybe the trade part is moving ahead. And if there's been one big weight on the U.S. economy, on the global economy, it has been right. the tensions from yeah. trade, manufacturing, slowing, et cetera. Although, wasn't APEC, did we talk about this? Wasn't it canceled? Yeah, it was. Yeah, APEC canceled. Isn't that, isn't that where they're supposed to meet? They're well, maybe they'll find another place no, to meet. Maybe, I was thinking maybe Mar-a-Lago. It's sort of like that, that moment where you say, oh, that place we used to go is closed. It, do we need to find a new place? President Trump, <laughs> President Xi. They'll write each other beautiful letters. Uh, Dave Wilson, come on in here. The stock market reaction, the equity side reaction sort of bounced a little bit downward, if I could say that. Right. And now it's sort of bouncing back up more or less to where it was. How does an equity investor read this? Well, in short, not much of a reaction. Yeah as far as the immediate move goes. Beyond that, if you look at what's been going on in stocks lately, you see there's been a real preference for bond proxies. Now, what we're talking about there, utilities, real estate companies, they've actually been the best performers in the past three months among the 11 main industry groups in the S&P 500. So, you know, in fact, today, utilities are the best performers, and they barely budged after this rate decision. So it's clear that what people were figuring on going into the meeting is playing out in terms of the decision, and it's being reflected in the shares. I mean, heck, I was reading a report today from Bank of America talking about that's you know where the money's flowing, into the bond proxies and not into bonds. So it's like there's nothing that really kind of changes the equation at this point in terms of investment. Or preferences. Right. Utilities, healthcare, consumer staples. That's if I look at the SPX, uh, the S&P 500 and the Bloomberg IMAP function on the terminal, that's where you see a little bit of upside in today's trade. A little bit. I mean, and real estate stocks are holding up reasonably well. Their index is only down a tenth of a percent at the moment. Mm. Well, All let's right. remember yeah. that, that two things that happened today. One, I mean, you guys are talking about stocks and where they've been. But think about it. S&P 500 is hitting another record, right. another record, another record, right? And today, GDP came in at 1.9%, a bit stronger than forecast. So just above what the Fed sees is potential. We're waiting for a jobs report on Friday that could be on the weaker side. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I think if you're one of the people at the Fed saying, let's, let's stop now. You're feeling pretty good about that decision, right? That th- Those kinds of things are backing up your sense that, you know, the, the world's been tough. The trade war maybe will have, well, maybe we'll go backpedaling all, all of a sudden. But for now, there's it doesn't seem to be that the reason it's not as compelling to keep going and cutting rates. But I think, again, I think the stock market rally has got to be a big one. Right. Yeah. It's a good point. And so we will hear from Fed Chair Jay Powell in about 25 minutes or so. He'll take the podium in Washington. Kathleen Hayes, what do you expect will be the key questions that he will get off the top? What is this a pause or are you telling us no more interest rate cuts? Why? If he says dances whatever he says he's they're going to dance say, though isn't he well or? i think he's, he's, he's going to do that little data dependent dance that he does i think he's going to say well, the fed uh, shuffle i believe uh, well except i think i'll be very interested i don't know because jay powell has, in a lot of ways is a pretty straight shooter he may say 
Well, we, we mean what we said. Yeah, things yeah. are looking a bit better. We've cut rate three times. So, yeah, this may be a pause, but we are watching. It also says that we're going to follow the appropriate path for the federal funds rate. And then people are going to say, well, what are you watching? Are you watching the jobs report? What if it's weak? Well, are you watching the stock market? Well, is it the trade war? And he's going to be, he's going to be hit with so many different questions on this. Uh, I think we should get some good some good perspective. I think we'll get more information and Jay Powell knows full well that this right. is what the press conference is for. It's to flesh out that policy statement and as much as he can clarify the FOMC thinking. Well, and you know, when we have the Fed say uh, once again, which we've heard them often say uncertainties remain, I want to know specifically, I, like I'd love a pecking order of, okay, sure. So what's the biggest there uncertainty? There you go. Absolutely. Because right? then you can assess it and then mm-hmm. maybe figure out and predict what future Fed policy is. Absolutely. Maybe you should ask Jay Powell a question. Well, if I was in Washington, I would. <laughs> Let's just do the show right in the he's on Twitter right in I'm that thinking newsroom. Not. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll say, Jay, can you keep it down? we got to do it a quick yeah, order. Order, Mr. Powell. <laughs> I have a question. <laughs> Sorry. And so, Dave, are there certain sectors that you look at as you go down a level that react in one way or another to this type of decision? Well, I mean, just looking at today's trading, you're not really seeing a whole lot post-Fed that you didn't see pre-Fed. So it's not like there's really that much movement within the industry groups. And like I say, seeing utilities on top of the heap, though, is is kind of telling. And they're hanging in there. I mean, you know, so it shows that, you know, people looking for income, you know, focusing on the stock market as much or more than they do on the bond market This is where I like to reconcile maybe what we're going to hear from the Fed if, you know, they're being a little bit more optimistic. So we've got to see what they're looking at. But I do wonder what the equity markets, as Kathleen said, you know, here we are (laughs) continuing to hit records out there. There's a fair amount of recession talks. We've heard it from the CEOs, concerns about trade in their earnings releases. So I'm trying to reconcile what the equity markets are telling versus some of the economic data points and what we might hear from Jay Powell. What does the equity market tell us? What do earnings tell us, Jay? Well, clearly, people are expecting better results down the road. And that's consistent with the analyst forecast, uh, anticipating a return you know, to growth in the fourth quarter, assuming they, they end up being right for the third quarter and S&P 500 profit falls. And then next year, you know, you get back toward 10% growth if you buy what the analysts are selling in terms of their predictions. That said, I have seen lately, you know, some strategists kind of expressing optimism uh, about next year when it comes to earnings and, and saying that yeah. at least there are some investors kind of going along with that view. Quickly, I just want to add uh, that, you know, Jim Bullard has been dissenting, dissenting, dissenting for bigger cuts, for more, you know, and today he didn't dissent. Hmm. So I think that's very yeah. interesting. Jim Bullard, St. Louis Fed president, if he is now ready to say, okay, we cut three times, you know, I wanted to try it. And the, st- the yield curve has uninverted, right? Uh, I've, I've helped change that. Um, you know, inflation expectations are still low. Inflation is still below target, but we've done enough for now. High, you know, sit and wait. I think that is a, a pretty significant voice to join that consensus in the middle saying we've done enough for now. Let's see what happens next. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we're going to leave it there yeah. with you guys. We really Thank appreciate you. it. Kathleen Hayes, Global Economics and Policy Editor for Bloomberg here in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. And Dave Wilson, Stocks Editor for Bloomberg 
He's also here with us in New York City. All right, time to head on over to Charlie Pellet for a check on the world of business and a look at uh, today's trading game. All right, I thank you very much. We've got the Dow higher, S&P, NASDAQ both lower, recapping, resetting, Fed officials reducing rates by a quarter percentage point for the third time this year, hinting they may now put monetary policy on hold for one meeting at least. Our coverage will continue in just a moment right here on Bloomberg Radio. S&P down two now at 3,034. That is a drop of one-tenth of one percent. We've got the Dow higher, little change now, but on the plus side, up seven, up by less than one-tenth of one percent. We did see a dip right after the uh, headlines crossed on the Bloomberg, but again, the Dow rebounding. NASDAQ down six now, a drop there of one-tenth of one percent. Your tenure up 11.30 seconds, yield 1.79 percent, gold up three-tenths, 14.91 the ounce. West Texas Intermediate Crude, a retreat today down 1.2 percent, 54.87 a barrel. So again, Fed cuts rates by a quarter point while hinting at a pause as S&P down two points, lower by one-tenth of one percent. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. When it's three, you can see it's a magic number. Well, and it seems like three was the magic number, at least for now. Uh, the Fed, as expected, cutting for a third straight meeting. Uh, let's get into that decision and some of the analysis we heard from the Fed so far. Of course, in about 15 minutes, we will head to the Federal Reserve to hear from Fed Chair Jay Powell. In the meantime, Ari Jersey, he is our chief U.S. interest rate strategist here at Bloomberg Intelligence. He's with us, along with Steve Blitz, chief U.S. economist at T.S. Lombard, both in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio in New York. Ira, I'm going to start with you. You've been taking part in our Bloomberg Live blog. What's notable to you in this Fed decision? Yeah, not not really a lot. There wasn't much that changed. Uh, I think that some people were expecting, including me, quite frankly, that they would have uh, at least modestly changed their assessment of the economy. So they have this whole first paragraph where they talk about the economy, and they basically left it unchanged. And I think, you know, with things like the Michigan survey of uh, consumer attitudes, and in particular, the inflation portion of that hitting all-time record lows, that they would have at least acknowledged that inflation was still running below their, their target. So, it, so some people, and I think the market reaction in the rates market, is suggesting that the Fed will have to do more because they're not yet acknowledging the fact that the economy is not as strong as they, they hoped it would be by this point. All right, Steve. So come on in here. What was your initial read? You were sitting uh, in our lovely Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Lounge uh, yeah. looking at all of this play through on the Bloomberg. You've got your notes. What what jumped out at you? Well, two things. First of all, I've been, I've been expecting the Fed to say we're done. Now, we know the Fed's never just going to come out and say we're done. But when you go from we'll monitor and act as appropriate to we'll monitor and assess the appropriate path, they're done. Now, obviously, what they're saying is if the data falls apart between now and December, they'll act again. I mean, they're always going to leave that door open. They're not going to close it completely. And in fact, if you look at even third quarter GDP, you look at so many, so much economic data from their perspective, mm. right? And you listen to Powell's speech from a couple of weeks ago. They think the domestic economy is just fine. So you don't think, like Iris said, that they're kind of ignoring some of the weakness in the economy. You don't. You don't agree. I don't with think that? so much that they're ignoring the weakness. The weakness is the reason why they've cut three times. The reason is why over the next eight months they're basically putting back all the tightening they. They put into the balance sheet. Mm -hmm. They're putting it back. They are buying over the next eight months about 95% of net new treasury issuance. That's a lot of cash going into the bill market. It's going to steepen the curve. It's going to help weaken the dollar. These are all the things that they've wanted to get done. Don't call it QE, though. 
Well, it's not QE because <laughs> they're not buying term yields. Yeah. But, you know, if you take all the gold away and then you put it back, it's still policy. So, What you do know. you say to what? Well, I, I think a couple of things. I think, firstly, that the Fed will probably actually slow down its bill purchases come January. So um, so we're expecting closer. It's still a lot, right? So they're still buying a lot of um, a lot of bills, a lot of net issuance. Um but it's it's not QE just because of what they're buying. And and in a way, it's kind of like balance sheet normalization because they haven't owned T-bills for 12 years. And now all of a sudden they're going to buy T-bills again, which they haven't owned for a very long time. I, I think on the on the other side that, yeah, I agree that the Fed's not ignoring it. I suspect that since we're doing this in real time, I expect that we'll see a bigger market reaction from the uh, press conference than we yeah. did the statement because I think that there'll be a little bit more nuance in there. I would be shocked if, if Jay Powell, particularly if they are done tightening or easing, excuse me, and they don't want to cut in December at least, mm-hmm. that he'll talk about monetary policy working on long and variable lags, and we're not sure what that is, and we need to see more incoming data before we make any additional decisions, right? So something along that vein, I think, will be reiterated two, three, four times during right. the course of the press conference. And and the more you hear that, the more that that means they're not going in December. Well, and it doesn't take January off the table by any stretch, yeah. but I think that, well, it, that January would be It doesn't out. take any month off the table table but you have to recognize they made in terms of the communication they made this move on the balance sheet a couple weeks ago when everybody was expecting them to announce it at this meeting because they wanted to say something special at this meeting and they didn't want to have the message mixed up with Mm. the balance sheet there was no fire drill on October 11th that required them to make that particular announcement about what they want to do over the next eight months. I, I disagree with that because in the funding markets, in the treasury market, they were really worried about what was going to happen on October 15th during uh, the settlement of a significant portion of new debt that was going to be issued. And the balance sheets of dealers has been very tight. So they wanted to do something to at least alleviate the idea that we're going to have tight funding markets forever. And they didn't want to have to do, you know, massive uh, open market operations in order to alleviate that stress on a moment's notice. So I think that that's one of the reasons why they announced it on October 11th as opposed to wait here. Now, I I initially thought uh, that they would probably wait till this this meeting to do it, but at the same time, I think that they were really scared because they the were getting... The market necessitated. Yeah, yeah, well, or at least, at least the market it, right? fear. Yeah. yeah, so the market fear to get ahead of it, you know, let's announce this. So at least if it, they know that at least we're paying attention, if nothing else. I love when you guys disagree. I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would say this, you know, first of all, they could have done repo, right? Secondly... Well, they are. You talk, they you, them, right? Well, I know that, but they could go back to the way life was before 2008 and just do repo. The truth is that because of regulatory reasons, basically you have balance sheets at the broker deals and at the banks that are smaller than they've been since at least 30 years, if not longer, while obviously the debt side has grown. Mm. So they have to be the balance sheet. Now, to say it's not QE, okay, is it's falling into their semantic argument. Okay? The fact is that they are adding a tremendous amount of liquidity to the system. They need to buy bills because if they don't buy bills, they can't grow their balance sheet because they have to quash the yields at the lower end so that banks will hold these reserves, which are not required at the Fed. If it just keeps leaking elsewhere, they can't grow their balance sheet. So they have to quash yields at the lower end, which is why they're buying bills. Right. So now if I buy this many bills, $480 billion, over the next eight months. That's a lot of money, and it's going to impact the market. It already has begun to do that 
you know, in terms of watching slow steepening of the curve. So if you're the Fed, you've got a steepening of the curve. You've got a lessening of of foreign headwinds, at least seemingly, with U.S., China. And the domestic economy, from their perspective, it's doing fine. And that they've done enough given leads and lags. And I agree. You're going to hear a lot about leads and lags in the press conference. I just want to mention the equity markets are now in positive territory. So we've bounced back. Uh, The Dow's up 30. The Nasdaq's up about a point. Little changed, unchanged almost, but a little bit higher. So fractionally on the S&P. I'm just saying the equity markets. It's funny to watch it sort of. I mean, it's bouncing really like right along that gain and loss. And the uh, the bond market's pretty much where it was. So if you're the Fed, if you're the Fed, you don't, there's no recession. So there's a limit to how far you're going to cut rates because of your financial stability issues, et cetera. So they weren't, even the Trump wants it, they don't, they're not going to zero without a recession. So there's a normal point for them to stop. What they need to do is have the markets buy in that they're stopping, not for a bad reason, but for a good reason, that the economy looks like it's going to do better. And, and if the market buys into that viewpoint, the equity market does better. The curve steepens up a little bit, and you, it's back to being risk on. Right. And if the data follow through, they're not cutting again for you know until the data tells them. I, they I have mean, to. In, fa- in fairness, the market had already been discounting a uh, a cut until May or June of next year, right? So, so basically, the, the statement, at least from a market perspective, seemed to be pretty much what the market was anticipating, right? And I think a few people, obviously, guessed given the market reaction, had expected them perhaps to be a little bit more dovish, but it, it's you know it's semantics and. Not, not that big of a deal. So, Ira, let's go back to this press conference that we will hear in, give or take, seven, eight minutes when Jay Powell uh, takes the podium down there in Washington at the Federal Reserve because, and everybody around this table knows this well, the stock market uh, has generally, shall we say, not been a big fan of these press conferences in terms of it has, I think, in all but one meeting, uh, there's been a sell-off, uh, as Jay Powell uh, has been speaking. What is he going to be saying? What does he need to say to at least keep us kind of where we are here, which is just barely in the green? Well, I'm not sure about the the equity market. uh, For the equity market. I mean, for for the equity market, I I suppose for all risk assets, they just want to make sure that they're nowhere near tightening and that they're going to keep on. You know, know, there's other things that he can hint at too, right? So one of the – there are some dovish actions that – he might be asked about. So, for example, the mortgage basis, the difference between uh, mortgage-backed securities and treasuries is the widest that it's been Mm -hmm. since they, uh, for about three years, right? And so one of the things that he could hint at is, you know, if someone asks him this question, which I hope someone does, what other dovish actions can you take without actually cutting? He can say, well, we can start reinvestments of mortgage-backed securities again, which might tighten uh, tighten the basis, right? So that could be one of the things. We can buy longer-term securities and basically saying we could start QE. So there's other things that he could do besides uh, cutting rates more. So what do you want to hear, Steve Blitz, uh, when uh, Jay Powell speaks in seven or eight minutes? Clarity of purpose. How's that? Meaning what? Meaning, he, Carol asks said, that of me every day. You know, I, it's, it's just it's like... another name for a garage band. I think what you need to hear is just some plain, simple talk about what they're doing and yeah. why, and, and rather, uh, and not skip stumble over his words and get the kind of negative market reaction he's gotten in the past. Look, 10-year yields are down, the housing market's responding, capital spending will respond with a lag and all of that, and he just needs to lay out a very positive 
economic story. But can he do that? I mean, Ari, do you think that there's enough there? To well, I think it's out? I think that's a little bit tricky. But when you look at at you look at some of the data that I look at, for example, ISM new orders, which mm-hmm. tends to be a, a very good leading indicator of a lot of other things, that that looks like it may have stabilized, which is not dissimilar to what happened in 2016. So unless you start to make kind of new lows in some of that kind of data, you can argue that we're starting to stabilize the economy. And assuming it stabilizes, then it means that the Fed's probably done its job, and then you have to wait, you know, two, three more months at least before you get enough data to say that hey, the Fed, you know, needs to do more or not. And and I think that that's where we'd like to get. At the market at this point, so kind of say like, look, we're steady. Let's wait until early next year. Right, which is exactly what this the says point. to you, Steve, that it's a strong economy or a decent. Economy. It's not so much. I think it's the point that things are bottoming out. I mean, if you look at the a lot of the manufacturing data right now, in the very short term, it's a little mixed up because right. of uh, GM. Or it's just below fifty. Yeah, right now, but too. it's just it looks like it's stabilizing out. The the household sector continues to buy the great inventory. Uh, a reduction hasn't really uh, occurred. Uh, net exports are kind of solid. So you don't see anything that's really deteriorating, and housing is is starting starting to pick up. Don't we need companies, though, to do capital expenditures in order to keep this economic momentum going? Like, we're late in the it's, cycle. Don't we need that, Yeah, we do, we, we do, ultimately, but that's going to take a while because that tends to follow – um, that tends to follow profits by about two quarters. So we need to turn in profits, and everything that's going on should eventually turn profits. And that becomes more of a 2020 right. or a late 2020 story than something you're going to get over the next couple quarters. And they know that. I mean, they being the Fed in this right. case. So, Ira, I want to ask you, you know, th- this whole sort of repo market question. I mean, it's been so front of mind. I mean, we've talked about the repo market on this show probably more cumulatively over the past <laughs> month than we had in the previous <laughs> 10 years. Uh, how much do you think that will come up uh, in the press conference? I mean, you've got Jamie Dimon talking about it. You've got the Secretary of the Treasury yeah. talking about it. Like, and in what context? What can the Fed chairman say to sort of calm people down here? Well, I, I, for one thing, I think he could point to evidence that right now it looks like this month end is going to be just boring in right. terms of funding markets. Right? In a good so, way. In, in a good way. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so basically, not they've basically provided enough liquidity to the funding markets via the repurchase agreements that they've been doing, both term and overnight, that the, the market's not going to be significantly worried about uh, about funding treasuries. And I think he could talk about he, he is probably going to talk about, you know, is there going to be a uh, a new facility that they're going to do that's going to maybe be a, a full allotment uh, uh, overnight facility instead of them doing the, uh, the the current operations, which are more traditional kind of uh, repurchase agreements. I'm not sure they have to. They can keep right. on doing what they're doing, and that would work out fine. But um, but I think he's going to be asked about that, and, and, and a lot of the details in that, quite frankly, won't come out at the press conference. Those will be things that, you know, will happen probably right. else, uh, in other forums. Maybe some good reporting by Bloomberg News reporters will uh, elucidate some of that. I have a feeling. All right. Ira Jersey. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you Thank so you. much. Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence and Steve Blitz, Chief U.S. Economist for T.S. Lombard, both here with us in New York City. Them bricks is way too high. You need to cut it. <laughs> Well, that's what the Fed did. Uh, It cut rates a quarter point, uh, widely as expected. It's third consecutive cut this year. Signaled a pause in further cuts unless the economic outlook changes materially. Uh, Equity markets, they are near their highs of this session, so they've certainly uh, turned around, rallied uh, to some extent on that news. And in terms of the rate picture, I just want to recap pretty much where we were 
prior, actually a little bit higher on the shorter end of the yield curve, uh, the longer end of the yield curve, pretty much where it was uh, prior to uh, the Fed decision. Let's get into it, though, with our team here. And we've got uh, in the house, we've got um, Alex Harris, bond reporter at Bloomberg News. Sorry, Who I are these my, people who just wandered into our studio? And also with us is Josh Wright, chief economist at iSims, both in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. Sorry, I'm looking at too many notes today. Is it Jay Powell? Jay, is that you? Oh, no. <laughs> Jay, so nice of you to it's, join us. It's Josh Wright. <laughs> Josh, let's start with you. What did you make of the decision well, we and were, the press conference? Well, we were looking for a hawkish cut, and that's very much what we got with this strong bias to hold. Um, that's from kind of Powell. perfect, isn't it? It, it? You know, that's really what the market seems to think. Yeah. But I was surprised by how explicit the chairman was. You know, I mean, he didn't come out and say in exactly these words, but saying a material reassessment of our outlook is about as much of a promise as he's going to make to say, you know, we're kind of done now. All right, Alex Harris, you were on the desk amid the fevered uh, listening and analyzing a number of our colleagues weighing in with questions there. Uh, Mike McKeon, Steve Matthews, uh, making his way up from Atlanta to ask a question. What did you make? What was sort of catching people's attention? Where where were you sort of looking around and saying, well, mm-hmm. we're looking around that how often the reporters in that room ask the same like a variation on the same exact question. Um, you know, one of the things I talk to people about on the desk is, you know, there's a lot of operational things that were discussed off meeting. And, you know, Powell reiterated, yes, they're going to be, you know, doing treasury uh, bill purchases at least through the second quarter of 2020. They're doing these repo operations through the, at least through January. And, you know, one of the things that caught our attention and we, we pinged, you know, our team in the room and said, someone asked him, how do they expect to remove that liquidity from the market in January and not cause any sort of disturbance? You know, and Powell probably would have said something about, oh, well, our reserve levels will be kind of more normal but that's a that's a serious question and and the other thing that kind of caught our attention on that front is why does the federal reserve that has all these very intelligent economists seem absolutely bumfuzzled that, I was that, a like, little nervous. I did no, not no, know no, where no. that was bum-fuzzled, going puzzled I okay. like the word as to like why why banks didn't come in you know, when repo rates spiked last month. And and to me, it signals that, you know, they're one of the regulators of the banks. They conduct monetary policy, and yet they have no idea how the two intersect and work off of each other. And that is a little concerning for me. She's here. deemed, man. What do you yeah, I was, it was a stunning turnaround um, from just a year ago when you had Simon Potter, the New York Fed, saying, oh, we feel pretty good about reserve levels. We've got a ways to go. And kind of like how Powell had to do the turnaround at the end of 2018 going mm-hmm. into early 2019, feeling good about rates, and then suddenly, uh-oh, maybe that was a mistake. Another big turnaround that we saw, though, was look at the market reaction. This is an incredible turnaround for uh, Chair Powell's performance in a press conference. I mean, we were all complaining. Calm? Calm? Or, yeah, well, I, know, I think effective. effective. The market is, you know, nice. this was a hawkish cut, even more hawkish than I and some other people expected, and yet the market is taking it very well. Up 124 points now on the Dow Jones Industrial Average. We're up about 12 points, so we're looking at about 0.4% higher on the S&P, almost half a percent higher on both the Dow and the NASDAQ. That is interesting. 
the dynamic has really changed, and he even was pretty explicit about what kinds of considerations he'll be looking for before they raise rates again. Yeah. And I think that's probably part of why the market took it so well, because a lot of those conditions are pretty remote. Do we think inflation is going to spike anytime soon? Do you think inflation but, expectations are but, even going to perk but, up But what anytime do you guys soon? make? Because the two-year the two note was yielding, okay, this is minor, it was yielding about 161 prior to the Fed decision. It's now at 159. Uh, Five-year was yielding 162. It's now at 160. So we've seen a little bit of a look. What does that mean? I Alex wants to talk. I, I think you need to look at it more in the context of the of the curves, you know. And Scott Minard from Guggenheim was on Bloomberg yeah. TV after the statement was released talking about this very effect, which is the the two ten curve flattened after we got that statement. And so I think it's either you know he was saying it's either the front end that is repricing, you know, less easing to come. Or it's a market that's concerned that more stimulus is going to be needed here yeah. because we're going to hit a very, you know, a slow patch for the economy. And, and so that, you know, flattening and, and the curves are something that we're going to have to keep an eye on here, not just the outright, you know, benchmark yields. Recession completely off the table now? Oh, wait, go ahead. You well, I, I was going to say, I think go. there's also the possibility of pricing out um, the tail risk of the Fed being even more hawkish today than it was. You know, I mean, yes, it was relatively explicit, but again, those conditions under which they would be raising rates seem pretty remote. And tail risk was really one of the big themes. You know, sometimes the last questions in the press conference, you think, okay, we've heard it, we're ready to go now. But I thought Don Lee from the LA Times really elicited an interesting comment where suddenly we found out, what is it that you think Chair Powell has changed in the outlook? And he said, look, it's the tail risks that are gone. Yeah, now we don't know what's going to happen with trade, but we're less concerned that it's going to blow up in our faces. Which is... I- I mean, I feel like trade was very much front of mind with him the last time we heard from him in this sort of setting, but also in the intervening speeches and Q&As that he's given and his colleagues have given. Are they right to be less worried? Does the bond market and do investors agree with that sentiment, Alex? I think it's just more that the trade rhetoric has become less inflammatory than it has been. I, I still think it's a concern. I think, you know, Brexit is still on the burner. I think trade's still on the burner. But but I think because the, the rhetoric around it has been less inflammatory, that it's not an immediate concern. You know, I do want to mention, Carol, you mentioned the inflation. And Powell had a comment where he said inflation seems to be settling below 2%. And uh, Vince Signorella, you know, my coll- our colleague here at Bloomberg, yeah. um, you know, we've had this discussion that it's like, oh, gosh, you know, if the central banks around the world had to acknowledge that maybe inflation, like a 2% inflation target is unrealistic and inflation is just going to end up being below there, then it's like the jig is up. Why do you need stimulus? So then it calls into question every global central bank stimulus program. Right. If you acknowledge that inflation might never reach 2% again. And I think that's an interesting comment and something I, uh, that we yeah, should really be thinking about because now we have to talk about the efficacy of the toolkits and, and why are we mm-hmm. even doing all these things in the first place if this is just where inflation is going to be settling now. What do you say about that, Josh? Well, I wanted to go back to the trade point oh, and okay. this idea that you know we've had played Lucy with the football several times now. With, yeah. Uh, yes, the trade talks are on again and they're off again. I think one of the differences here is... a slippery is, football, too, at it's that. It's a very slippery <laughs> football. But we're heading into a different environment because yeah. next year is an election year, of course. So I'm sure that there are a lot of people in the market who are thinking, you know, it's a lot less likely that they're going to blow something up in an election year. That's just kind of the real politique from yeah. a market perspective. Right? That's a good yeah. point. No, it's if, a, like, if you're the Trump team, you know, the White House team, and you're strategizing about 2020, you've got to start thinking, okay, what are the things that we need to calm and get some closure <laughs> on, even if it's a mini trade deal or whatever the heck it is, you've got to figure it out. What? You're laughing. Uh, I'm laughing because one of those things on the list, yeah, we don't want to wait in there, but we're all probably thinking it, which is probably, you know, impeachment or 
don't get impatient. No, I think we can talk about that. I mean, no, I think it's, that's it's a concern. I, that's it's absolutely a real true. I mean, we've got list. the House, uh, you know, essentially exploring exactly what they're going to do along those lines right now. I mean, when we think about what we're telling our viewers in our weekend show, we're starting to think about Brexit and impeachment and not just the new economy. Just a reminder, the Fed reducing interest rates by a quarter percentage point for the third time this year, signaling a pause in further cuts unless the economic outlooks changes materially. Let's continue the conversation with our team here, Alex Harris, Bond reporter for Bloomberg, and Josh Wright, chief economist for iSIMS. Both in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio, we kept them hanging around to get some final thoughts as we continue to synthesize, digest a little bit what we heard from Jay Powell. So, Josh Wright, what happens next? Like, you know, as they look at data, the the FOMC, Jay Powell and his colleagues, as you look at data, what are you looking for? Job stay, obviously, right around the corner. Yeah, that's a big deal coming up on Friday. I think the one of the things is, We talk about data dependence, which kind of data is the Fed going to be focused on? In a world where unemployment is already lower than the Fed is actually comfortable with, inflation is pretty soft, are they focused on real economic variables or are they focused more on how the financial markets respond to them? Because a lot of it has to do with where you think, do you want your policy to be accommodative or neutral? Sounds like Chair Powell wants it to be a little bit accommodative. Yeah. What's the deal with inflation? I mean, are we truly in a different environment? Like the Jerry Seinfeld question of Bloomberg. What's the deal with inflation? Inflation. What's the deal? No, what do you, I mean, Josh, what's the conversations you guys are having at your place about this? It's a lot of uh, head scratching. You know, yeah. we've been having this conversation for a couple of years now. Yeah. It's clear that there are some structural factors. Saying, uh, you know, we were for a long time. Oh, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's coming, it's coming, and it, it hasn't. I, I think we have to acknowledge that you know there are some ways in which we're going back to the old normal, but this is a way in which we do not seem to be headed backwards. Right? We've got technology changes; those are deep and long-lasting. We've got demographic changes; those are deep and long-lasting, and that that seems to be holding these numbers down, which actually is helpful for the Fed in a lot of ways. Yeah, exactly. But I think also you have it on a, from a global standpoint. And I know RBA Governor Phil Lowe makes this point quite a bit when he speaks that, you know, globalization has an impact here. And that's something that I think Powell has maybe like quietly acknowledged in remarks. But I mean, that is a factor as well, that it's not just about the U.S. It's inflation broadly because globalization does change the game a little bit. And despite the confidence that Fed Chair Powell was uh, evincing today, I think we do need to be concerned about asset price inflation. So traditionally, we worry about consumer price inflation, but yeah. really, it's been asset prices that have been the problem for the last two cycles. I mean, I don't know if we're there well, yet. Yeah, I mean, he was very optimistic. He said, I don't see broad problems. Yes, there's some concerns of the corporate debt market. It seems contained. They have like a you know clear analytical framework that he laid out, um, but we can't deny the fact that there's a possibility that we could simply get a shock to confidence through some kind of tumble in the stock market. I mean, how many people really feel that all those stocks out there, some of them, I mean, look at what's happened in IPOs this year. Right. Yeah. How many people really feel confident that the stock market But actually, what that? has happened in IPOs to me to this year kind of gives me some confidence that I feel like the capital markets have said, either you're not making money, so you're going to get beat up, or you're not going to come to market. Or, or you know what I mean? Like, to some extent, I feel like the markets are doing what they're supposed to. I, th- I think I'm that's not right. A, cheerleader, a little I, healthy I, popping of bubbles along the way yeah. can, can really help. And we've seen that. Right? It's true. Over but it, it requires years. continued vigilance. I mean, yeah. still, you've got some. Some companies still have some pretty optimistic evaluations out there. Yeah, that's fair. I think the other point that Josh, you know, and going back to what Powell said about corporate debt and uh, PIMCO's Anthony Crescenzi was on radio this morning with Tom Keen and John Farrow making this point is like 
The problem is there are Batman and Robin, by the way. <laughs> which is <laughs> which is which? I don't know. I'm just saying. I think they're Batman and Robin. No but I, comment. But I guess this is what happens when we get 90 minutes into the Fed decision. <laughs> but, Go on. But here's the issue, and Anthony Crescenzi was making this point: is that everything is well and good in corporate bonds, except when you have to sell, and and this is the problem, though. Yeah. And he was making the point that. The structure of the markets has changed, and this is where he was equating kind of what happened in the money markets to what could potentially happen with the corporate bonds in that banks are no longer the intermediaries that they once were, and he said they're now movers. They're they're not warehousing anymore. They're just trying to move inventory off their balance sheet. They don't want to have it, and so this is going to be the problem if you get waves of investors trying to sell their corporate bond right. holdings all at once, and, and this is what that we need to be concerned about, and I think what the Fed needs to be vigilant about. The law of unintended consequences right there. Powell said that they weren't going to take another look at regulations, but I think you just made the best argument for why they should. Yeah. She's always good at making – I know. (laughs) She makes good recommendations. This is a great roundtable. I'm not saying who's Batman, who's Robin, who's Superman, who's Wonder Woman. (laughs) It's all all one and the same. All right. Alex Harris, Bond reporter for Bloomberg. Josh Wright, chief economist for (laughs) iSims. I'm going to get out while the getting's good. I'm driving in my car. I turn on the radio. Yeah, how about you let me drive? Oh, no, 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 no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive home. Excuse me, I wanna drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That funky music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. All right, it's time for the drive to the close on this Fed Day Wednesday. David Dietz back with us, President Chief Investment Officer for Point View Wealth Management. Looking after about $5.8 billion out in Summit, New Jersey. That's where he joins us on the phone. David, nice to have you back with us, as always. Thank you so much, Jason. All right. So let's talk a little Fed since it's top of mind. What did you hear? Because the market, at least the equity markets, seemed to like what they heard from uh, old JP. Well, well, certainly they complied with what the market was expecting, which was uh, their third quarter point cut in as many months. Um, but then they talked about the future and they changed the language a little bit, suggesting that we were not going to expect anytime soon additional rate cuts. But when queried as to what would be the grounds to reverse rate cuts and increase, they talked about um, seeing more inflation, which by all accounts is not going to come anytime soon. So people uh, liked what they heard. I think the main takeaway for me was they got the rate cut. Rates are going to stay low, but they didn't scare us in terms of their concerns over the economy. Perhaps Goldilocks, dare I say, David? (laughs) Yeah, that's what I think the market heard. Of course, that was juxtaposed with a better-than-expected reading on GDP. We got a 1.9% reading today, which was um, not as good as the 2 from Q2, but better than the market expected. So that adds to that Goldilocks story. And so what do you do as an investor here, David, because, you know, we've had a nice 
run up here in a bunch of names and sort of pretty broadly, you know, we were talking with Dave Wilson even at the top of the show and, and thinking about how the markets have generally been reacting. You know, S&P is going to hit another record today if I'm reading my chart right. So what's not to like here or what do you especially like maybe is a better way to ask it. Sure, absolutely. I think longer term, we're still very constructive. And I, I think the, the key metric that I continue to share with my clients is you've got a yield on the S&P of 2%. You've got a yield on the 10-year Treasury well under that at 1.7, which means over the next 10 years with dividends typically increasing and, of course, fixed income staying fixed, you've got a high likelihood over time of making more money in the, in the market. But certainly near-term any types of headwinds could develop. Uh, just today, we heard that um, the much-vaunted uh, meeting of, of, of world uh, monetary chiefs and, and so forth in Santiago, Chile, is going to be canceled. We right. were hoping that we could put a bow on phase one down there. Uh, that doesn't look likely right now. So that is potential near-term volatility. Um, and, of course, there's still concerns over the economy uh, abroad, particularly in Europe, as they, as they face and deal with Brexit. Um, but, you know, given the valuation tilt in favor of equities, we're focusing on areas that have lagged a little bit. And to be honest with you, Jason, we like companies that are blockbusters in their field. You know, I go back a generation to what Jack Welch said, that all the profits of every industry is made pretty much by those companies who are number one or number two. So we try and pick them out within industries that we think make sense and invest accordingly. So Budweiser, Anheuser-Busch, InBev, that's one that falls into that category? So, I mean, Anheuser-Busch, which is basically the merger of the Belgian InBev mm-hmm. and, of course, Budweiser here, they dominate the beer industry like a few companies in any type of industry do, owning five of the top brands across the planet. Um, 18 of their brands generate more than $1 billion in revenues. They got four, nearly half of the U.S. market, nearly two-thirds of uh, many of the markets in, in Brazil. But the stock is down 20% from July. There was some weakness in Asia in terms of volumes. But at the end of the day, when there's any kind of hiccup in an industry, the biggest company can squeeze costs further, push harder on their networks, and of course, those brands are not to be duplicated. And I think while you're waiting, you've got the 2.5% dividend. This looks good no matter what the economic climate going forward looks. All right, David, got to ask you about Wells Fargo because I feel like we've been talking about it every time you've come to visit us or uh, been able to call in. They got their CEO. You must be so happy. Yeah, I am. And it did get the stock above 50. Um, it, it spurted about 10% in the news. It has fallen back. Of course, all the banks, and even today, the banks didn't participate in the rally so much, are still grappling with these narrow net interest margins. Yeah. The amount that they're paying is a lot relative to what they can lend. That's hurting them. But again, Wells Fargo has one of the best franchises coast to coast, which gives them tremendous economies of scale in terms of uh, distribution, in terms of branches, in terms of advertising. And I think they can make money here. And again, while you're waiting, you're collecting uh, a 4% uh, mm-hmm. dividend. And recently, of course, with the lower interest rates, the refi business is perking back up. And apparently, Wells Fargo is getting more than its fair share of that. All right. And you also like, speaking of dividends, uh, those pharmaceutical companies, those are always a good place to go. Pfizer is the one that you liked, also a huge player. Uh, And you're talking about a 3.7% dividend. 
Exactly. You know, the biggest sales force in the world, the largest amount spent on R&D, I still don't think the market is giving them enough credit for what they have in the pipeline. I think the 800-pound gorilla over the industry, of course, is politics. Mm. And certainly proposals as we get into the political season to radically change the healthcare system. But Quite frankly, we have seen that movie before, and you know certainly I think after the candidates, um, after the primaries are over, and 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 the candidates on the uh, Democratic side start playing for that middle, I think they'll back off some of the most radical plans, and people will see it's business as usual. Pfizer's 52 week high is 44 right now, is 38. Collect 3.8 percent and move up another 15 percent with one of your top uh, healthcare companies in the world doesn't look so bad at right. this juncture. It's interesting. We're going to talk about some of the political market plays uh, coming up in the final hour of the show. For now, we're going to leave it there with David Deeds, President, Chief Investment Officer of Point View Wealth Management, joining us on the phone from Summit, New Jersey. Love talking names with him. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio.